0: The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. Glad you're here today. Glad that we're here and ready to answer some questions for you. And if you've got some more questions, we'll we'll take them and we'll get to them just as quickly as we can in the weeks ahead. Uh, there's a phone number and a website on the screen. Use those anytime. Tell us what you'd like us to talk about. And uh, that's all we do is answer Bible questions. We're a little bit different than most religious TV programs. Uh, Most religious programs, and a lot of them do a wonderful job, but they kind of tell you what they think you need to know, Uh, we turn it around the other way and let you tell us what you'd like to know. And we think by doing that, you'll probably learn a little bit about your Bible. So if you want to know your Bible a little bit better, just call in or log on and tell us what you'd like us to talk about. We'll try to provide you an answer. And when I say we, I mean Toby Levering and I. Toby, good morning and welcome back. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're here and ready to go. And uh, got some good ones coming up here, but we always do. Our viewers keep us keep us in business. I tell you, after 31 years, they still think of things we hadn't heard before. <laughs> so we enjoy it. Uh, we always start with one for our viewers, though, just to see if they know a little bit of Bible businesswoman in the New Testament, so purple cloth was her occupation, and I want to know what her name was, see if you know that, and we'll give you an answer at the end of the program, see if you know a little bit of Bible. All right, I think you drew number one today. Oh, Perry. we got a fun one too, question okay.
1: about those TV ministers. oh watch out. Oh man, we got to be careful. TV ministers pray for people to be saved. Does this deceive people to think they are saved, but they are not? Well, yeah, possibly. Uh, i don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with leading people in prayer uh and maybe even encouraging them to follow christ and i'm you know we're we're not watching other t v ministers while we do this so uh but I think if I read into your question correctly probably what you 're referring to is something that a lot of religious t v programs have called the sinner's Prayer, and maybe a minister will teach or give a a lesson or something. And at the end of that, he'll ask you if you want to invite Jesus into your heart. And and you can say this sinner's prayer, you can say this prayer, repeat after me, and you can become a Christian. Uh, Well, that is, yes, a little misleading at best. At worst, it is deceiving. Um, Not maliciously, I think. Many TV ministers are sincere, and they uh, want people to come to Christ. I think, obviously, Steve and I want people to come to Christ. Uh, The question is, how do people come to Christ? Um, The sinner's prayer is uh, not found in the Bible. That's not how Jesus instructed anyone uh, to partake of the free gift of salvation. Uh, You won't find it anywhere in the pages of the book. Uh, so, I understand the, the desire to lead people in prayer to do that, and maybe using that as a starting point, but that's not what the book says in terms of how to, how to do it. If Jesus died for all people, then how do we accept the free gift of grace? The Bible is very <laughs> clear about that, as was Jesus. Uh, let's look at one of those places in Mark chapter 16, verse 16, and this is Jesus himself. He says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so you know, if you're a person watching this program and you don't know Jesus and you want to have that hope that you can have through Him and, and you want to know Him, uh, I'm not just going to encourage you to pray. I'm going to, to encourage you to read your Bible. Uh, sign up for the Bible Correspondence Course that we talk about every week and learn what Jesus said. And one of those verses you'll study is Mark 16, 16. And if you're ready to believe and and turn away from your sinful life, you can be immersed into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's the gospel invitation that's been offered all throughout <coughs> the ages that Jesus commanded and that Peter preached about. And you'll find all throughout the scriptures. So uh, TV ministers, don't be too hard on them. But uh, no, the sinner's prayer is not found in the Bible.
0: All Question about cremation, and uh, probably the one of the top topics Absolutely. we get asked about, people wonder about cremation, and ask it in all sorts of ways, and this viewer says, is it a sin to get cremated? Does it mean we won't get to heaven? Well, there seems to be that fear somehow that uh, cremation is going to keep us out of heaven, Bible doesn't talk about cremation, uh, it does talk about burials and in the Old Testament they buried people, uh, so maybe that's why some people worry about it. Uh, I think more of it though is that there is a, a sense some false religions and sometimes during the Dark Ages and things too, uh, Christians were burned at the stake as heretics. Uh, which branded them as not able to go to heaven in some way. Uh, Other religions like the Chinese communists, uh, I've read that during the persecution of Christians over there, uh, sometimes they would cut Christians' heads off. They'd bury the body somewhere and they'd bury the head somewhere else uh, in the belief that that would keep them from being resurrected and going to heaven because... God couldn't figure out where the two parts were somehow. Uh, so there's all that history going on, I think, about some folks do teach that that gets you out of heaven somehow. The Bible doesn't say that. Uh, the Bible says God is going to resurrect everybody, uh, He's able to resurrect everybody. One way to think about it is there are a lot of people that aren't cremated uh, that aren't all in one place. Uh, somebody that's lost at sea or, or, or blown up in an explosion. or um, uh, These are gross things to talk about, but their bodies aren't buried in one piece in one place. Uh, on the other hand, everybody that's buried uh, returns to ash in a sense. So cremation kind of speeds that process up. Uh, but everybody returns to dust and in, 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 in that sense. So uh, God is going to resurrect all those people. He's able to do it. He's promised to do it, uh, so we don't need to worry about that. Uh, one other thing I thought about the way this viewer asked it, is it a sin to get cremated? Uh, well, somebody could have you cremated, even against your will, uh, and certainly God wouldn't hold that against you. If there was something wrong with cremation and you and left instructions, I want to be buried, uh, and then somebody decided to cremate you, you know, that wouldn't be fair. God wouldn't hold that against you. So, is it a sin to get cremated? I think the answer's got to be no. And uh, when I say I wouldn't worry about it, I would discuss it. And we always try to add this because some people do have compunctions against. Uh, Cremation Discuss it with your family If you think you'd like to be cremated Or you think you wouldn't want to be cremated uh, Make sure your family And descendants know that Uh, Make sure they understand What you want So that will be a help to them They won't have to struggle with that decision But don't believe it's a sin
1: Okay A question about angels A viewer wants to know What does the Bible say about guardian angels Specifically Well, as we've said on this program many times, the study of angels is uh, very interesting, and uh, uh, there are lots of different verses to look at in the Bible, and it's hard to give a a, a comprehensive look in a three-minute answer on television, Uh, but there's lots of good resources that you can find. Uh, We understand that angels are created beings. They are uh, intelligent. They have great power. Uh, their knowledge uh seems to be finite they they are not infinite so they have only the ability to you know they can uh, can't be omnipresent they're om- they're not omniscient uh, in that ways they're similar to us and yet they're created higher than us uh specifically you ask about guardian angels well angels uh, the word means servant, and they serve at the bidding and do whatever God wills. And so there are times we see angels in battle. There are times when we see angels uh, guiding uh, God's people and helping them. Uh, they have many different things that they do. And uh, one verse in particular uh, from Hebrews indicates, seems to indicate that we uh, in Christ have those angels to guard and to help us in some form or fashion. Let's read from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. And there the writer says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Well, uh, how do they serve? How do they serve those who inherit salvation? And what do they do specifically? Are they with us all the time? Well, the Scripture is less clear on these answers. But... Uh, it does seem that uh, we do have angels and that God uh, has them serve and help us and guide us in things that he deems necessary. And whatever those things are, if he wants uh, each of us to have a assigned guardian angel with a specific walking around us and driving with us and all of that, I suppose he could. And the Bible never says that specifically, but it does say that we have um, help in the celestial realm. Uh, with getting things the things done that need to happen that God wants to happen, uh, so what they serve, what, how they serve, <coughs> and what they do, uh, that's up to the Lord Himself. But yes, angels are real, and according to Hebrews one fourteen, they are created uh, to serve God and to help us as He directs.
0: Alrighty, talk about a good way <coughs> to study the Bible with you. We've got some free Bible study materials that we are happy to offer you, and uh, like we say, they are absolutely free. Uh, we make this offer every week and uh, we enjoy studying the Bible with you for 30 minutes each week, but there's a whole lot more in the Bible than we'll get to in a lifetime of 30 minutes. So if you've got some time and would like to know a little bit more about your Bible, here are some good ways to do it, uh, taking these courses. And the first course is on the screen now. There's eight lessons in it. Uh, just a good basic Bible study and when you're done you'll know a lot more about your Bible but then we've also got more advanced courses that you can go on to them and keep learning about your Bible. So we'll provide those to you and like I say absolutely free. Uh, We won't ever put you on a mailing list or bother you in any way. We'll certainly never ask you for money. Uh, We just want you to study the Bible and we found some good ways to do it. Happy to provide those to you. So uh, either call that phone number or log on and tell us you'd like a course and we'll get it started for you. All right, question about the beginning. Genesis 1:26 says, Make a man in our image. Uh, who is our? Well, good question. If we were reading the original Hebrew, it wouldn't be quite so confusing uh, because Genesis 1 starts out and says, In the beginning, a God... And the word for God is Elohim, which is plural. So we know there's something there plural. That's our first clue. And then we get down to verse 26 and this Elohim, plural God, says let's make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. Certainly sounds like there's more than one there. Well... The answer is what we call the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, but uh, God appears, is represented somehow in three different ways, and we know they were there that day. Uh, the rest of the Bible tells us that Jesus created things. We also know from first verse or two that the Spirit moved over the face of the waters and the Father was obviously there. So those are the three ways we refer to the parts or the the personalities of God as the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what the language references there. There is a triune God, which we're not here to explain the Trinity, but that's what that word means and why it says our as there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were there at the beginning.
1: All right. I have a question about communion uh, from First Corinthians chapter eleven, verses twenty-seven through thirty-two. Talks about taking the Lord's supper in an unworthy manner. Does this mean if we sin, we cannot take communion? Well, my answer to that is, if that is what it means, uh, there should be very few uh, trays for the Lord's supper. It's uh, if it if it was dependent on how much we sin that week, um, there wouldn't be very many people. In fact, I think about zero they could partake of the Lord's Supper. Now, the Lord's Supper uh, is now a memorial feast. It's, a, it's to be done in remembrance of what Jesus said and did for us, the blood that was spilt, the, the body that he laid down for us on the cross. Now, in doing that, in partaking of that, and it seems that the Christians did so every first day of the week. It was part of their worship, and so we do that today. There's a danger in doing that every week, however, is that it can become trivial, commonplace, uh, just something to to, to go through the motions without putting any thought behind it or any heart in it. And that's very dangerous. The church at Corinth had this kind of problem, and they, they... celebrated and partook of the Lord's Supper. However, uh, they did it much differently than we did. They had a big meal associated with it and so forth. And um, as they went through that, they just treated it like a common meal. And so there were people jumping in front of people in the line, people gorging themselves and, and just filling up their plate full and other people not having any part of it. Uh, they, they were just treat, treating this like a normal gathering at a uh, someone's home for a, uh, just a regular meal, and that was absolutely not the purpose of it. Jesus didn't just come to set up a new uh, time and place to eat. He was saying we need to we need to get back to the heart of what the purpose of this supper is. Now, you mentioned First Corinthians eleven. I want to read for you a verse that will not be on the screen. But listen to what he says here, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Well, what's an unworthy manner? Let's look on, he goes forward. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. Uh, that he's very clear here. That the problem, and I'll go on to say, that's why a number of you are weak spiritually. You're you're having all these problems, is because when you go through this memorial feast to remember what Christ did, you're failing to acknowledge Christ, to to point your mind and your heart back to Him, uh, to to acknowledge His body, the Church, and the body that He gave on the cross. So we we need to do that. We need to partake of it in a thoughtful meaningful uh, reverent way and that's very important to do as we partake each week so uh, what's unworthy what's an unworthy manner I think taking it irreverently uh, taking it uh, vainly without any purpose uh, not thinking of others um, just doing it for yourself uh, maybe just a checklist mentality those are all dangerous ways to partake Um, so now here is a verse from verses from chapter 11 that are on the screen we'll finish by reading these together so then when you come together it is not the Lord's Supper you eat for you when you are eating some of you go ahead with your own private suppers as a result one person remains hungry and another gets drunk don't you have homes to eat and drink in or do, do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing what shall I say to you shall I praise you certainly not in this matter. We we want to come to the Lord's Supper with reverence and awe and meaning and think about the reason that Jesus set it up. When he did, he said, this do in remembrance of me. Let us always do that as we partake.
0: All righty. Question about God's omniscience. Does he really know everything? And if he really does know everything, it seems like life is pointless. Uh, if he knows what's going to happen before it happens. So that's our viewer's take on this. If he really knows everything, then why have we got to go through all this? Why, why doesn't he just say, game over, here's here's what's going to happen? Uh, well, common confusion, and lots of people make this mistake and have trouble understanding it. There's a big difference between foreknowledge, knowing something, and foreordination, or Destining it to happen. To say that God knows everything does not say that he makes everything happen. Okay? And only God can do this because he's omniscient and all wise and all the other attributes he has. He gave us free will. He lets us choose. We get to decide a million times a day. We get to decide uh, whether we're going to do this or that. When we get old enough and mature enough, we get to start deciding will we do God's will or will we do our will. He gave us that free will. Now, he, in a sense, knows what's going to happen, and the best way I can understand that is that he is outside of time. He's not limited by time, Uh, so he sees the past as well as the future is all the same to him. Uh, He can see it all. So he knows what's going to happen in that sense, but he doesn't interfere. He uses what happens. He promises he'll make things work out for our good, for those that love him, but he won't force our will, make us choose this or keep us from choosing that. We've got free will. So The purpose of life is not pointless. Uh, The purpose is we make all those choices. We decide if we're going to love God back. He revealed himself in the Bible. He told us how much he loved us. He told us he loved us so much uh, that he sent his son to die for us. And we get to decide, are we going to respond to that love uh, by serving him and following his advice, or are we going to do our will? So there's a great point to life and uh, God lets it happen. He lets it play out and he's given us the parameters and told us what will happen and, and all that. So he knows but he doesn't make it happen. So the point in life is going through it. Uh, this is not a good example but I thought of it uh, on the opening day of basketball practice the coach probably knows who's going to be the starting five. Uh, he looks at the 20 kids out there, and he says, all right, those five over there, that that's going to be my starters this year. They're just the best. Uh, but that doesn't make practice pointless. He lets it go on. He uses it for the purposes. He develops all of them, and he may get surprised because he doesn't know everything. Uh, but still, the practice is not pointless just because the coach knows the outcome in one sense. Uh, Like I said, that's a poor example, but God may know the outcome, but life is certainly not pointless. All right, let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ. Uh, We are sponsored by the Churches of Christ, kept on the air by Churches of Christ. We like to thank some of them each week. Today, let me mention a two in uh, Kansas, uh, a town of Agra, and also in Mead. Uh, if you live in one of those two communities there's a group of Christians that meet together uh, at the Church of Christ and they think and study the Bible a lot like we do on this program uh, you'd be warmly welcomed if you dropped in at either of those churches or any church of Christ in the viewing area but uh, we especially appreciate these two for helping us stay on the air and uh, maybe you know a member of the church in one of those towns tell them you heard about them on know your Bible and you watch the program each week and appreciate them helping you do that. So give them your thanks along with ours. All right, Toby.
1: Can a viewer asked the question What does it mean in James, be doers of the word, not just hearers? Well, um, the best way I can explain this is um, as a parent. Uh, if you have children or have had children at any point, Certainly, when they're in their younger ages, there are many times when they hear you, but they do not do what you say to do. Uh, we call that selective hearing. Sometimes spouses experiences experience that as well. You hear the things you want to hear, not and don't and don't always do all the things you're told to do. Um, James is very clear throughout the, his entire book about the importance of not just believing but coupling that faith with with action with uh, doing something about it believing in Jesus is not just a matter of saying well i believe in Jesus and then you know living life as you've always lived it uh, that kind of faith uh, is meaningless uh, faith in the biblical sense has always been a belief coupled with action uh, whether it was god telling abraham to go and him Well, he could have believed that uh, the promise was for his children and that the promised land and uh, all of that, but until he got up and went, uh, he could have believed that God was going to provide him offspring, but when he told him, I want you to take your son up the mountain, uh, he had to choose whether he really believed it when he took uh, Isaac up. So, every biblical character and us today have to choose whether we're going to not just intellectually understand what's written and what's commanded and what's expected, but also whether we're going to follow it up with action. And that's the important part, and James is very clear. The verse you quote is found in James chapter 1, verse 22, and the version you quote, the translation is the New King James. I'm going to read to you from, I think, the, uh, the NIV. Uh, it says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves do what it says and i think that makes it very clear i the, the meaning is is you know to me right uh, at its face value don't just read or listen to the bible don't just watch know your bible and and turn it on and think and oh this is good and biblical without applying the answers of the bible to your life for it to make impact you have to put it into practice so don't just listen to it you got to do what it says
0: all righty what does the Bible say about inheritance, about the, I guess, the rules of inheritance maybe is what the viewer is asking. might be a lawyer calling in here <laughs> wanting to know if there's any biblical rules. Uh, actually, there's nothing in the New Testament about inheritance to speak of. The Old Testament's got lots of things. Uh, the Old Testament was rules for the Israelites, and... God had some pretty specific rules about how inheritance was supposed to work. Uh, basically, the firstborn son was supposed to get everything that daddy had, and I always thought that was an excellent law. I, I agree with I, that I, I, I don't, know really. why, don't know why we didn't carry that on. Uh, <laughs> but that was for the Israelites. New Testament doesn't say anything about it. In fact, the only thing it really says about inheritance is one time Jesus said he wasn't worried about that. Uh, There's a verse in Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, and it's just kind of in the middle of a story there. It's kind of odd. Somebody yelled out from the crowd that he and his brother had inherited, his father had died, and he wanted Jesus to help them divide it up right And Jesus said, "Man, who made you a judge over, who made me a judge over you? Uh, That's not my job. I'm not gonna mess with that." And then it just goes back to the rest of the story. So the only thing about inheritance in the New Testament is Jesus wasn't too interested in it. So, but no rules or regulations in the New Testament that apply to us today. All right, let's make sure we get our trivia question answered here, and that was about a businesswoman that sold purple cloth and wanted to know who she was. And Acts chapter 16 is the story of Lydia becoming a Christian. And you can read all about her there. She sounds like an interesting character, an entrepreneur in the first century. We're glad you've been with us today, and we're going to come back next week and do some more questions. Until then, you have a great week.